0: Hello, hello, hello! I am your Ethel Merman hostess with the most. is Michael Munoz, and welcome to In YO Mouth.
1: In Your Mouth.
0: I'm the queen of food, who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good. Show you how to. Hug. Oh God, that's good. I wanna know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey, I'm coming. In Your Mouth. I got the goosebumps. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome back, folks! Once again, I am your hostess with the mostest, Munoz. And are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Tomorrow, it's it, it's it. Tomorrow, we say so long, farewell, Alvita's into summer. That's it, folks. That's it. Today is the last day to get all your rosé and you know what I'll even forgive you if you if you wear a little bit of white today. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, get your get your last lobster rolls in, get in. You know, I the sun is setting earlier still. I I am a big advocate of getting storing up the vitamin D in any which way or shape that you can because um, for those of us that live within the seasons, you know, we're we're about to go into the cold and the dark, so we need everything to, like, kind of charge our solar energies here. Other than that, um, folks, last week I went to see—this is non-food related—I um, went to see Diana Ross, and it was probably one of the most amazing concerts I have seen. And at 78, the woman is doing her thing, and if you can get there— Get their queens and in betweens because. <laughs> so good. It was just so, so good. Other than that, all I have to say is thank you to Amazon Music. We are celebrating and promoting Amazon Music this month because they are celebrating and promoting Your Girl Munoz. So um, shout out to them. If you're not listening on Amazon Music, maybe you should be. And other than that, I want to get to the getting on because I'm really, really excited for today's guest. Somebody who I should have probably been in contact with a very long time ago because You know, I call myself the OG of food media, but this one, like, predates me, honey. She is the OG of food media. At the beginning, um, predates your girl, Munoz. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only Adam Roberts. Say hi.
2: Hi. Oh, my God. What an (laughs) intro. That was so impressive. I need to take lessons from you on my own podcast. I don't have... Nearly as half as much energy as you do.
0: Oh, it's listen. This is the show, honey. This we're, we're here to celebrate you, but I am the show. You are the
2: show. <laughs> yeah, I just want some popcorn. I just want to watch you keep going. It's great.
0: <laughs> it's so funny in your mouth, listeners. It's so funny to watch my guests' faces as I kind of intro the podcast because. You know, we have a short conversation beforehand, as most of you may know who have been listening to me for a long time. But I don't talk to my guests for very long. I like to hit the record button and get it moving. And so it's it's you know it's calm Munoz. It's like hey how you doing? And then the record button. Gets hit and we are we are off to the races. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's
2: great. You you're putting on a show. That's that's what the people are paying for. So uh,
0: it is. Anyway. You know, it, I I attribute it to my musical theater background, uh, which we will get into a little later I didn't in the know podcast. Know that. Okay. Don't you we know? all?
2: Don't all gay men in food have some kind of musical theater background at some point?
0: You would it's, think it came in our box, but some people have lost it. Like it, yeah. it, some people, it fell out. You know? uh, yeah, I think
2: a, I mean, I just listen to show tunes whenever I cook. So maybe that's just me, but. I feel like a lot of people do, too.
0: It is. It is. Yeah, I mean, it's part part of our gay genealogy, whether we accept it or not. Like, you know... uh, it's the part of the genealogy the ancestry or the 23andMe doesn't give you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Well, Adam, first and foremost, thank you for giving me of your ver- a time out of your very busy schedule and coming here. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on. But before we get anywhere, I got to do what I got to do. And Adam, in the grand tradition of in yo mouth, I need to wish you happy National Pecan Cookie Day. <laughs>
2: Wow, thank you, and happy pecan cookie day to you.
0: Now, uh, great debate. Is it pecan pecan, or is it pecan?
2: I'm very self-conscious with certain words because I grew up in New York, and I had, growing up, a very thick New York accent. So my husband, who's from the Pacific Northwest, makes fun of me for saying orange instead of orange and horrible instead of horrible. Then I went to college in Atlanta, so... Pecan and pecan. I feel like a New Yorker would say pecan. Like my mom would be like pecan pie, and then mm-hmm. like in the South they'd be like pecan. Right? Is that where they say pecan?
0: Yeah, yeah. I so I have a, a British friend who recently said pecan <laughs> to me, and I was like, pecan "What's a pecan? A pecan funny. pie, right?" And he was right. like, "I think." And he was uh, there were pe... There were pecans in this apple pie, and he called them pecans. And I was like, pecans? What's a pecan? And then a long time ago, a southerner corrected me that a pecan is something you urinate in, and a pecan <laughs> is a nut.
2: Oh, okay. I like that. That's, that's true. Now that I hear it that way, I'll probably right? never hear pe- pecan again. The yeah, same way. no, no, wow. no, no. Right? And so it's National Pecan Pecan <laughs> Cookie Is that what you
0: said? Yeah, it's National Pecan Cookie Day,
2: right? Who comes up with this stuff? I'm sorry, I don't mean to question your whole podcast's format, but like, where do these days come from?
0: It's the age old question. And to (laughs) the person, to the person or persons who run Foodimentary, because they seem to be the authority on these national food holidays, I don't know if they've excerpted it it from someplace or they, um, they, Came up with them themselves, but it's it's across the board. I can trust Foodimentary for. No, I, mean, I, need I to know, know. know
2: that it's real, but like I have seen it on like Twitter and stuff. But at the same time, it just feels kind of arbitrary. Like yeah, why would today I mean, be pecan cookie day? Versus you're like so self conscious about peca- <laughs> I <know. laughs> <The word> pecan. <laughs> no. I know. I'm being very careful as I say. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very, very very suspicious of all this. I feel like I want to like hire a private investigator to, like, look into these days and see what oh. the real deal is. If it's, oh, it's wow. I feel like has got to be money. She's rich. Like she's like, she's like just rich hiring,
0: uh, hiring I, an I investigator. <laughs> I want to be
2: that private investigator. That's, that's going to be, like, my Julianne Margulies character. And, yes. And um, I feel like it has to have money behind it. I feel like the pecan industry is paying somebody to make today National Pecan Cookie Day.
0: Maybe, but the the thing is, do we really care? I mean, I love a cookie. I am a cookie <laughs> monster. All right. I will I will devour me some cookies. But I think like there's
2: already a cookie monster. I think you need a new title.
0: I, I will. I, I am second <laughs> too, you know? Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I I'm the backup, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like, no, really, like it doesn't get as much steam as let's say national French Friday or National Cheeseburger Day or National like things. Things that people quote unquote really care about, you know. But me right. and Laney Kazan over here are <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, we're here for National Pecan Day. Why not? Pecan oh, yeah. day. I, I mean, a pecan sandy, mm, yeah. delicious.
2: No, they're great cookies. I don't I don't want to disparage the cookie. I'm really just raising a question mark over the day and why. And, and why a lot
0: of them don't make sense and we don't have an answer unfortunately. But I love this discussion and we could uh, this could be the entire podcast and <laughs> uh, and you may have to come back to do yes. that entire podcast with me okay. and we'll just go I feel
2: like it's like the matrix for you. Like I'm giving you the blue pill or the red pill and it's going to change your whole podcast format after you like see the, the reality behind these days like what's really yes going
0: on? yes you know what we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that and we are gonna come <laughs> back and do an okay. entire why are there national food holidays yes. episode right okay. but right okay. now no matter what you celebrate whether it's national pecan cookie day or it's pecans At the Eagle, I don't even know. Right now, (laughs) we celebrate you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, I found this really interesting. Adam, did you know that in 1993, Married with Children's Amanda Bares talks about being a lesbian in an advocate interview? She is the first primetime television star to come out.
2: I remember that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember watching Married with Children. And being very excited to find out that the neighbor, I forgot her character's name, but she was like the annoying neighbor that Al Bundy hated. And to find out that she was a lesbian was, was definitely eye-opening. And it was during a time in my life where I was always excited to hear about it. Like somebody you wouldn't think was gay necessarily coming out. And so, yes, I remember that very well.
0: You know what I didn't realize, though, is that she was the first. Yeah. You know? Um, That's interesting. Is that, I think of, that,
2: um the mom from Family Ties, Ma- Meredith Baxter Burney? I think eventually came out, but it wasn't until much later, you know. So yeah, I could totally see that being true.
0: Yeah, right. So weird and just such a, you know, I I I I do these things right as a throwback to our gay history because we need to keep it in the in the present, you know. And so, um, but like you just think like something like that would have been been more present or somebody before her her would have like come out first you know Mm -hmm. but I mean, shout out to you, Amanda Bears, and I hopefully think, I think you're still working out there? I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen her in a while, but it is interesting to think about like others. I mean, I remember the dad from the Brady Bunch was gay, right?
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and speaking of gay, there is a full protest happening outside in, (laughs) in Times Square. We are fighting for our rights, and in your mouth, listeners, I know you love the ambient noise, but you're getting the most of it today, right? And that's what... That's the joys of living in 120 square feet uh, in Times Square. <laughs> Is it really 120
2: square feet? Yeah, it's or... the
0: fa- It's the fabulous Times Square Studios, right? Oh, it's a studio. Okay. No, it's like my. It's my studio. Really? Apartment. That's what. Do you,
2: have a, do, you, do you? Are you able to cook in there?
0: <laughs> yes, I used to make. I used to make custom cakes out of here, like wedding cakes. Wow, that's amazing. right. I've ca- I had a cottage kitchen, honey. Right. I I catered. I did the whole thing. But listen, we're not here to talk about me. We're here (laughs) to talk about you. And and I want to get to the getting on. In your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, and you probably already do, Adam Roberts is a self-taught cook and humor writer whose food blog, The Amateur Gourmet, was named the 11th best food blog of all time by First We Feast. He is the author of two books, The Amateur Gourmet and Secrets of the Best Chefs, which was named best cookbook of the year by the Daily Mail. Roberts has written articles and recipes for such outlets as the Washington Post, the LA Times, Food & Wine, Salon, Serious Eats, and Food 52. You know, just to drop a few names. Uh, he was the host of the Food Network's first-ever web series, The FN Dish, and a staff writer then story editor on the ABC sitcom The Real O'Neills. His podcast, The Amateur Gourmet Podcast, features intimate interviews with food world stars as like Ruth Rachel Fergus Henderson and Melissa Car- Clark soon to be Michael Munoz hopefully <laughs> Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) And um, his latest book, Give My Swiss Charts to Broadway, the official Broadway Lover's Cookbook, co written with Tony nominee Gideon Glick, arrives on shelves October 2022. And that's October 4th, people. Yes. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Yes. (laughs) And we're back, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for being here, Adam. Listen. You and I were talking before we started here about how we are fairly OGs of food media. I started a blog that shall not be no longer be named in 2009, right? But I was really interested to find out that you started your blog in 2004. You were at like the forefront of the blogging. The blog is fear, honey. I'm on the, the Mount bloggers.
2: Rushmore more of uh, of food bloggers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you
0: and um gluten free girl, um uh-huh. Shauna Ahern. Right? right. I
2: remember her. Yeah, I they, mean I know her. Yeah, all these yeah. and it was David Leibovitz and um, Deb from Smitten Kitchen and gluten Yeah, from Smitten Taco Kitchen. Mancini. Yeah, they all all from early two thousands and when it was just this like weird, weird niche thing to do. Like It felt like the most like obscure little pocket of the internet. There was no sense that food blogs were going to become a thing, Um, and now now it's such a thing that it's like I don't even recognize food blogs anymore. Like with those like huge SEO like optimization things and like boxes and printing things and uh, it's just I don't even know what they, they they. they kind of baffle me, but I'm going on a rant. Keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's just a, it's a, such an interesting world, from from whence we came to where we are. Honestly, because I mean, my first blog was what the blo- uh, blog spot, and then like yeah. I struggled with WordPress forever. But like I want to, I love to start at the very beginnings, right? And I want to know, and I'm sure the audience wanted wants to know, like what drove you, like where where did the love of food come from that made you want to start this blog
2: I grew up in a Jewish family in New York um, and then eventually Florida uh, that was obsessed with meals but not obsessed with cooking so we there was never any cooking at home but we were always going out to Italian food to Chinese food Um, we were just my mom and my grandmother in particular just like loved being in a restaurant they were very that was like them. At the ca- they were like captains of the ship, like that's where they were the most in control, and it was always a cel- it was like li- life was meals. It was always like where are we going to breakfast? Where are we going to lunch? Where are we going to dinner? Day after day, and so I went to college and was a creative writing major, and I was a little bit of a lost soul, and so my parents kind of urged me to go to law school, and um, it was a terrible decision. Uh, I d- did not enjoy law school, but while I was there. Somehow I got lured into the kitchen and it was a novelty because I'd never had cooked before a day in my life. And I started um, just making like tomato sauce from scratch and like doing Betty Crocker's recipe for chili. And I instantly loved it. It was just like a a love affair immediately. And I started writing about it on this forum that was on the internet called Eagle It. I don't know if you remember that. It It was like
0: a forum. Yeah.
2: And, um, Basically, a friend of mine at the time, or two friends of mine, were like, "You should start a blog." And it was so early on that I had no idea what a blog was, and I was like, "What's that?" And they sent me some blogs, and then I, I think I, I used TypePad if I remember correctly, and I just typed in "Amateur Gourmet." I just sort of chose that because it felt right because I didn't know what I was doing, and and I guess the premise early on was, "I'm not an expert. Like, watch me screw up in the kitchen, and I'll, I, you know, here's the thing that I accidentally set on fire, and." I mean, early on, I would have disaster after disaster, uh, which people, I think, enjoyed. And I, 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 was, I was very, like, similar to you. I liked putting on a show back then. And so I, like, wrote songs. I made videos. I, like, did cartoons. Like, I did all kinds of stuff because I was so eager to get away from law school and, like, do something creative. And lucky, luckily, like, it, it took off and it got really popular. And I was able to sort of turn that into a career. I'm still trying to figure that out uh, <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs>
0: Aren't we all? Aren't we all? You know, yes, we are all trying to figure it out. And let me tell you something, that since 2009, when I started, Mm -hmm. I had to, the amount of times I've had to, like, reinvent myself, right? Because Mm -hmm. something happened or, you know, I just, like, kind of lost the gusto for, like, this or this. this, Something wasn't working, you know? And, and you know, it's that, like, pivot ball change that you have to do. Mm -hmm. and And it's like it's 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 this never ending process of like growing and but it's re, it's really interesting just to see how much the the media field in general right uh, as far as like the internet has changed especially for people like you and me but especially you right mm-hmm. cuz you're you i was started in oh nine you know what mm-hmm. i mean it, yeah, it's re-
2: that's a little later yeah i mean for me like it it started out as something that could never be a career like There was never a sense, like, oh, I'm going to make money from this food blog. That was was never a thought that crossed my my mind at all. If anything, I thought of it as like a launching pad for my voice or just like a way to find an audience. But the fact that like eventually it became a way to like sell advertising and, you know, do integrations and all. I mean, like there was just so much that happened with food blogging after that that it got a little tainted for me. You know, it sort of lost its luster a little bit but um it's also really cool like how many people were able to support themselves as food bloggers during a period of time so
0: yeah uh, absolutely um you know it's and the other interesting thing and the other the other thing i'm really surprised that we've never crossed paths on is because you know back then there weren't a lot of the food bloggers were housewives and moms you know mm-hmm. people people who had like a little bit of extra time to like kind of be at home and and take you know crappy pictures of their food and write <laughs> the recipes down, right. you know because the photos back then are not like the photos now. That's for sure. Oh yeah, of
2: course. I <laughs> mean, my, my pictures on my first couple of years of food blogging are all flash pictures from my tiny little camera. They're so bad, but that's kind of what made it cute. But now it wouldn't fly. So totally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But also, but also the fact that like being you know, male food bloggers, but being gay food bloggers too. Like, you know, there was, I, I never saw anybody like me out there, you know, even at like things like Tech Munch and like all these other, you know, things created for food people, you know, in your food journey, do you think on that note, right? Because this is a big gay food podcast. Do you think there's such a thing as queer food?
2: Ooh, that's a good question.
0: I have to thank Michael Twitty for it as you, uh, (laughs) <laughs> as you, um, you know, ponder upon this, as because he came on and we did a whole like queer food segment, and you know he took me down the trails of history as oh, he right. does.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, in that case, for sure. I mean, I think he he would know more than I would in terms of history. I mean, I have certain foods for some reason quiche. I always think of as queer food, maybe because of the, the like the cliche on sitcoms where it's like. The gay man like was bringing the quiche to the dinner party, or like I burned the quiche. Like there was something very funny and effeminate <laughs> about the word quiche, and I don't know why. Um, and so quiche is queer food, I think, and even starts with Q, so it's a Q food. Um, and then so
0: so what you're saying is all Q foods are queer food. So so oh, so far we have quince, 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 uh, Canals. Quiche.
2: Canals, canals are kind of queer. I think,
0: yeah. Oh yes, right. Like yeah. the dollop of it all.
2: It's so. I mean, it's so fussy. Like you know, straight men don't canal unless they're like at a four star restaurant. Um, yes. But and then, then and then
0: a, you, know, you know, give them a beer and they're kind yeah. of gay, right? It straightens them back
2: up. <laughs> I'm trying to think like what other queer foods I would think. For some reason, I, I just thought of like a Cosmo, like the cocktail. It's like. If you see a man drinking a Cosmo, it's almost certainly a, a queer person.
0: I mean, the the men of The Real Housewives of New Jersey are forever drinking apple martinis.
2: Oh, that's true. That Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. That's a little confusing. Do you watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey?
0: I watch most of the franchises.
2: <laughs> I, um, I'm an East Coast housewife aficionado, but I live in California. But I have to stop watching the Beverly Hills one because it's so gross to me now and just awful. It, and it, it, just, it, it makes me feel sick watching it. I,
0: I'm Elisa Rinna Stan. No matter how, how many <laughs> problems she causes, she is problematic. Yeah, but, but Erica I am here Jane
2: for- is like evil. Oh
0: my God, Erica Jane, Erica Jane, Erica Jane, Erica Jane. Yes.
2: I have a story that has nothing to do with food. But I'll tell it in like point two seconds, which is that when I worked, when I was going to law school, I was not very good at it. But my parents came to visit me, and they were at a hotel, and I was I played the piano, and I was playing for them, and a woman came over and put a $20 bill down and asked me to play a, um, the theme from Somewhere in Time, the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I started playing it, and my mom gave the money back to the people uh, just to make conversation. And it turned out it was Tom Girardi and Erica Jane, and they hired me to like, go work at his law firm, which I had no idea was this corrupt, like, evil like, workplace. So I worked there for a whole summer, and Erica oh. Jane got me my job.
0: Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah, connection. In your mouth, listeners, we have the full tea on what actually <laughs> happened in the Girardi Key. I days. had no idea. I mean, I,
2: we, I mean do not, so we do not. We do not.
0: We do not claim these things. I don't need Erica Jane coming after me. I uh, know.
2: <laughs> actually, that's so funny because my friend does a Bravo podcast and just spoke about. Um, one of the Diana on the Real Housewives, and she said something about her and got a cease and desist letter from from Diana's lawyer. So be very careful yes. what you said.
0: Yes, Erica Jane, Erica Jane, you know, mm-hmm. you do you, girl. You do you, and look I'm fabulous. I'm derailing
2: your food podcast. All right, let's go back to food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> And hysterical. What would you say before we cut out to the break? What do you? What, was there a pivotal point where, during this food journey of yours, where you actually realized that the amateur gour- gourmet was like, was it was it, like, you know that what was that viral moment that uh-huh. you were like, oh, oh, this is actually a thing, and I actually really enjoy doing this as well. So like, bing bang mm-hmm. boom, let's go.
2: Um, I went. I had a crazy experience where every year that El Bulli, that restaurant, like molecular gastronomy restaurant in Spain, that is no longer there, but it was this really influential restaurant. And every year I would apply for reservations. It was like a, applying to college—you just submitted and you hoped to get in. It was like two thousand people. Two thousand people got reservations out of like you know four million people trying. And then one year in two thousand six, after I met my partner Craig, I got a reservation. And we flew to Spain and we drove up the coast of Bravo and we went to El Buli. And like a very good food blogger, I took my little videos and I took my pictures and I wrote everything down. And when I got back, I did a giant post where it was like, um, you know, pictures from the trip, but I like put it like in a cartoon format with like speech balloons and images and video. And I posted it and, and that went viral. And I heard from like so many like chefs and like it was on Eater and it was like, I think maybe the New York Times had a blog that linked to it, like just all this cool stuff. And I was like, "Wow! Like, how cool is this? That like I got I got to like share this experience with so many people, and it's is like such a special thing. And also, it really felt like the medium itself lent itself to that kind of storytelling. You know, it's like, what other medium can you have video and you know, writing and pictures and stuff? So that was like maybe my peak moment um, of really loving doing my blog. I
0: love that. I love that. I love that. Do you think that through this journey of writing your blog, right, that you're going back to this queer food question that your your queerness your gayness your whatever your being kind of added to that or that added a little flavor to that like and really kind of shaped it in what it was
2: yeah, that's a really yeah I haven't really thought about that, but there there was something rebellious about my blog at the time in my life that I created it, which was. I felt like the forces in my life, not just my parents, but just like my family, like just the, the, the world as it was, felt like it was pushing me into a very conventional place. It was like be a lawyer. I mean, marry a woman, have children, like all these things were kind of being foisted a on woman. me. A woman? Yeah, I know. you <laughs> imagine? And so here I was like fighting against that, fighting against law school, fighting against, you know, being, well, trying to embrace my sexuality at that time. And then I was just doing this, like, pl- I had this place on the web where I could be weird and be myself. And I think just being able to find my voice on there and to have people validate that voice. I mean, nothing was like the moment where I finally, like, came out on my blog, like, two years in. I had never said explicitly that I'm gay. I just, like, just wrote about my friends. I mean, it seemed pretty clear because I was just always going out with groups of gay people. <laughs> mm-hmm. it was, I, th- I thought it was pretty obvious. But then when I started dating my partner, Craig, I said, oh, and this is the guy I'm dating, Craig. And all the comments were like, oh, my God. I always knew you you were gay, but I didn't know for sure. And I was like, oh, my God, amazing. Now we know who you're kissing. I remember somebody said, like, it was just so, it was liberating. And I was like, oh, this is like a very safe place for me that I've created where I can be my true self. And, and I, think, I think the internet still feels that way to me. Actually, like now I do Substack and I do like I'm trying to do TikTok, but the Internet has always felt like a safe haven for some reason um, in a way that the real world sometimes doesn't.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an interesting take. The internet feels like a a, a safe haven when, like, there's so many, you know, trolls and whatnot out there trying to take you down. But what the trolls don't know is that, like, for example, I posted a pride, you know, a pride video of me, like, raising the pride flag with "Break My Soul" underneath, and it went viral for like you know a small viral moment, and all these hate comments started appearing and appearing and appearing, and my friends were like, "Oh no, delete them, ignore them," and I was like, "You know what? I am not bothered. What they don't yeah. realize is that this is pushing me forward. Like, yes. oh yeah, like I mean, it's I, causing I gotta... the algorithm to like keep pushing me forward uh, because more people are more people are commenting, so more people are going to see this. So like." hate on haters what you're doing is actually lifting me up into a place where more people can see this
2: that's really interesting yeah because as I was talking and I said that it was such a safe haven I hadn't been I wasn't thinking about trolls and there certainly were trolls in my feed and I would get like nasty emails from people but but the, the large bulk of it was just support and positivity and so I think that it's, I think it's everything to do with what you're saying, like how you react to the negative stuff. It's like if you're able to brush that aside, I think the internet can be a really great place.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, my God, this is a great place for a break. But before we go, before we go, I need to ask you because you're on the subject of coming out and coming out on your blog, and I think our stories matter because we never know who's listening to us and who we can affect with our story. Would you mind talking to me about your coming out story? Sure.
2: Um, Well, I mean, I came out when I was in college. I went to Emory um, in Atlanta. And I had the year was 1872. Yeah, it was the (laughs) early 1700s. Um, And I had two best female friends whose names I will leave out of this for obvious reasons once I tell this story. But they were in my dorm room. And it was just like, I remember it was like around Halloween. And I was like, I need to do this. Like, I need to do this. So I didn't know how to do it. So I was like, um let's play a game, you guys. Like, let's play a game called like deepest, darkest secrets. And they're like, okay. And I was like, let's each like tell our deepest, darkest secrets. And so like one of my female friends was like, Well, I've never talked about this before. She's like, but um, I've never been kissed. Like I've never kissed anyone, and I'm really embarrassed, and it's like really sad. And I was like, Yeah, 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 that's great. And then the next friend was like, um, well, actually, like I used to struggle with anorexia, and then I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Like, let's get on with it. <laughs> and then there's like I was like, I'm gay. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God. And now when I look back on it, I'm like, wait a second. Like those secrets that they were telling me were pretty serious secrets. And like, I was so narcissistic that I was just like wrapped up in my like coming out story. So now I look back on that like, oh, uh, I kind of was forcing the moment to be about me. But at the same time, it was really a nice way to come out because we were all sharing and connecting. And that was great. And then I came out to most of my college friends. And then I called my parents. That didn't go so well. Um, and that took a long time to, you know, work through. But my parents have really come around, and years later, uh, I had a wedding to my partner, and my parents helped pay for it. So um, that was the happy end, you know, the
0: the climax of the the movie, I guess, version of this. Yeah, I love that. And, I mean there has to be a little self forgiveness in there right and uh, which i'm sure you've done and realized that like you know we as young people are so self involved especially when we're yeah. going through some major crap you know right <laughs> that like yeah. that like major things like that just like yeah that's great but what about me as opposed yeah, to like I being know. being fully right. formed humans right and that understand like oh wait <laughs> what did you just say to me wait what i know <laughs> and There's i thought i was having an issue
2: I mean, there is a really funny thing about being gay and narcissistic that I'm still trying to figure out. Because, like, you know, most of my gay friends are narcissists, myself included. And I wonder if that's, a, like, a, like, I mean, actually, I talk about this in therapy sometimes. And my therapist says narcissism has to do with, like, low self-esteem. Um, and so and it kind of makes sense when you're first coming out. I mean, in that period of my life in particular, like, to be so self-focused and also feeling so crappy about myself and so unsure of myself and eager to like get this out there. So yeah, I think you're right. Some self-forgiveness yeah. is...
0: Self-forgiveness. You know. I mean, it took me a long time to learn how to self-forgive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I even these days... You know, yeah. Yeah. Still working on it. Still working on it. And um, I say it a lot or I've been saying it a lot more often these days is that, you know, coming out is just not this one thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's this ever evolving thing. We're forever coming out to somebody. We're forever evolving as humans and then re, you know, reinventing ourselves and coming out again and and whatnot. And so, you know, this is why our stories matter. Right. From. Once we came to where we are to where we're going, you know what I mean, and it's absolutely. important for people to hear about this and and we never know who we can help or inspire or or you know oh, just absolutely. i mean even just through my blog, i'm to. sure
2: I'm sure through your stuff too like i've I've heard from countless uh, people who are closeted who ask for advice for coming out, and a couple that I even like you know mentored or like spoke to before they came out to their family, so yeah it's an incredible uh aspect of being a queer food writer is like the food is sort of like the 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 screen or like the thing that like seems like it's about that but it's actually about something deeper it's about who you are and what you represent to people so i think that that's a it's a really cool way to think about it
0: yeah and and this is one of the joys of this podcast and why this podcast has kind of grown into this is the Seymour, right? This is a little shop of horrors. Not the Seymour. This is the, the Audrey Two ah, right? Right. <laughs> of the of food course. world. Right. Yes. Because this this took over my life. I'm not driving this car. This podcast, like, literally was like, you know what we're doing? We're doing this thing. And right. it's part of the joy of like, you know, being being here with people like you and and getting getting to know you. Yes, we talk about the food and the journey and the cooking and the and the books and And the hard work and the fabulous things that all of us are doing in the food world. But then when do we, as in our fields, get to tell in this field specifically, get to tell this story, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're working behind the line, right, Mm. in restaurants where they really don't understand that for the most part.
2: Right. That's a really good point. Yeah.
0: And so it's connecting with each other. Right and hopefully connecting to the audience out there, right in this in this way, right through through food because food is universal, right and 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 learning these things, you know, and and having having these moments, right. And 100%. I think yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a lovely like you know Brene Brown or something, yeah. <laughs> someone <laughs> yeah. who I really <laughs> a, a, aspire to be <laughs> played, right. It's so funny like, there,
2: there's just like one Brene Brown clip that Craig my partner and i saw where she's like if when somebody's like depressed like you need to come down into the well with them and like that's the only Brene brown thing we've ever seen and now whenever like craig's in a bad mood he's like you need to come down into the well with me and i'm like oh my god like (laughs) that's like you saw like one percent of this entire thing and you just keep (laughs) quoting it but it's actually kind of good advice so
0: listen get get down there just get down there for that man get into the well it's true get into the well get a little wet Get a little wet, and like when you (laughs) climb out, you know, maybe (laughs) you'll be the better for it. I hope so. Is that the name of this episode, getting into the (laughs) well? I don't know. Listen in your mouth, listeners. Um, It is time to cut out to this break. Adam and I need a sip of water, and we actually may go out and join this protest for a minute. And we're going to (laughs) be back (laughs) with my favorite part and your favorite part
1: of the podcast. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery.
0: All right, Adam, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News updates. Uh, food News. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Smell the cheese. Up. You can order a box of the world's rarest cucumbers to try in your next gin and tonic. What? Yeah, you can order a box of rare cucumbers to, to not only put in your gin and tonic, but to do whatever else you feel fit. Wait,
2: do you put cucumbers in your gin and tonic? I guess that's a good idea. I've never done that before. What do you mean? Really? I've just put gin and tonic and a lime in my gin and tonic, but cucumbers sound very refreshing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I felt I feel like that's standard. I'm not that bougie. Also, I'm not. I will eat a cucumber, but I'm not a fan of a cucumber. Oh. Does that make sense?
2: I like a I like a cucumber in a Greek salad. I think it, it's good there. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll I like, eat them. I, I like Persian cucumbers because they're a little more concentrated. I don't like a watery. Cucumber. That's like mostly like just like
0: liquid. So I I hear that. Prefer a Persian cucumber by far. (laughs) Got it. Okay. (laughs) Hello, honk if you love Persian cucumbers. Well, apparently, um, Hendrix is now working to cultivate some of the world's rarest cucumbers, ensuring they'll. Be available for garnishing your next gin and tonic. Hendrick's master distiller, Leslie Gracie, partnered with Lenore Newman, Ph.D., the director of the Food and Agriculture Institute at the University of the Fraser Valley, to identify some of the scarcest cucumber species that are scattered throughout multiple continents. And basically... Um, they focused on six varieties, and seeds from those fruits were planted and cultivated in greenhouses. And now you can order a box of them and like get them to put in your gin and tonics.
2: <laughs> are they only are, are they designed for gin and tonics exclusively? Like, could you put it in a salad?
0: I mean, of course you could. I mean, why? Uh, I mean, if you're eating it, why couldn't you put it in a salad, right?
2: <laughs> because Hendrix developed it. Maybe it has like certain botanical qualities that. Lend themselves better to drinking.
0: No, it sounds to me like these are what we call, wouldn't you call these heritage cucumbers? Or does that Maybe. not fall, fall into I just that made category? Some, um,
2: I just made some moldy cucumbers because I was trying to make pickles at home. I saw that. I saw that. Yes, and you and didn't love very well.
0: Yeah. You left. You left things sticking out of the brine, and that's why I the did. mold for, formed. I know, right? And, and I was moldy, going to comment on that, but like everybody else has answered you. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, moldy cucumbers are not as good as heritage cucumbers. I can I no,
0: in or out of the bedroom. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about that. <laughs> I just thought this was really interesting, um, and that like. Hendrix has like spearheaded this whole um like cucumber rejuvenation, right? Cause I mean it's kind of like it's extinct. It's what I guess the good part of zoos, if there is a good part of zoos, don't come after me, Peter, is doing for animals. Like, you know, like rare cucumbers that are on the verge of being extinct. And they like found the seeds and are cultivating more of them. So now there's more of them to get your hands on. And now they can do this like funny little promo to hand them out to stick, you know, shove one in your gin and tonic.
2: I was just thinking of like a cucumber petting zoo. That sounds like something <laughs> that we can make a lot of money with, you know. Come pet some heritage uh, you know, cucumbers.
0: You know, back in the day, I feel like Times Square used to be a cucumber petting zoo. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to go there, yeah. I thought you were going to make an I eagle mean, joke again. <laughs> how, how could you not? How could you not? I think we're here for this, well, no matter how
1: yeah, you enjoy
2: I, it. Honestly, I set, the, I set up the perfect <laughs> queer food <laughs> podcast joke. That was like... You know, consummate in your mouth uh, podcast material.
0: I mean, you are on a podcast called In Your Mouth, but I, like, listen, it is it is educational and fun at the same time. You is. see what I'm we learning did there? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kellogg's wants you to add water to your cereal. Have you heard these with these Kellogg's instables?
2: No, I've not heard. Anything no, about would this.
0: you put water in your cereal? Like. There's been beer in the cereal. There's been orange juice in the cereal. And now there's water in your cereal.
2: I would prefer water to beer or orange juice in my cereal, but I much would prefer milk. But it's interesting because I've been going, my coffee beverage in the morning used to be like an iced cappuccino or something. Now I'm doing an iced Americano, which is basically just a little bit of espresso with water and ice. So maybe like in a similar vein, adding water to cereal might Just you know, tastes like a like thinner, lighter version of adding milk.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is, and Kellogg's is not a sponsor. And thank you to my other non-sponsor, Food and Wine, who Adam has written for, uh, for keeping me up to date on all my food news. Actually, do you know Mike Pomerantz? He needs to. He's that's the queen, the straight queen of food news. He needs to come on this podcast. No, yeah. (laughs) Is he from Food and Wine? Yeah, he is. He he's one of the major people who writes all these food articles. Shout out to you, yeah. Mike. Come on the pod. Um, but apparently it's powdered milk. It's like it's this bowl that mm-hmm. already has some powdered milk and a I fill see. line on it. So like you can just take it on the go and add water. How is this not? Milk been... is like
2: a, yeah, it's a trendy ingredient. I know that like Christina Tosi puts it in all her desserts and stuff. So
0: why Yeah, don't... right. Is powdered milk the new the new trending food of the end of 2022?
2: <laughs> Maybe. I could see that. Powdered milk. Yeah. Sprinkle it on your cereal.
0: Uh, do you like the cinnamon challenge, but with powdered milk?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because um, there's a sh- formula shortage for babies because, yeah. uh, you know, one of those companies had... So it feels like those two things go hand in hand in 2022, like powdered milk in your cereal... Not enough formula. I don't know how this all links up, but it just feels very twenty twenty two.
0: Are we feeding cereal to babies? Like, Maybe. Why not? <laughs> are, you per- are you a cereal? Are you a cereal person? I used to love a Frankenberry, but I can't tell you when the last time I had a bowl of cereal was.
2: I went through a kashi phase, which is a very was a very intense period of my life. It's ve- it, it was it was, your, about-
0: it was your it was your lesbian phase. Yes, my lesbian <laughs> phase. And when I was
2: in college, I loved kicks. Cereal, I would eat it by the handful. Like when I was like studying for an exam, I just there's something about that texture. It's like eating styrofoam, but like in a really good way. (laughs) And when I was a kid, remember those like little six packs? You got to like get the yes, yes. Those were amazing, like with corn pops and honey smacks. Yeah, because then you could mix and
0: match cereal, and like my mom wouldn't be mad about it because like I wasn't like opening multiple like big boxes that were gonna go bad.
2: Right, yeah. yeah. And it was a, such a treat to get that as a kid. So, yes, yeah, I used to be ser- obsessed with guy.
0: Frankenberry and Kaboom and what else? Captain Crunch or Crunchberry. Mm.
2: I would go as far as to say that Frankenberry is queer food.
0: Frank, you know what? Frankenberry was a queer icon. Yeah, you know, we I could add Gary's her to the
2: clearly <laughs> queer. Yeah, that is a queer cereal. It's the queerest.
0: Yes, right. I think we're here for this. And last but not <laughs> least, uh, a six-year-old man paddles 38 miles in a hollowed-out pumpkin to break the world record. I don't
2: even know what to say to
0: that. That's
2: just there's, wait. First of all, there's a world record already established about paddling a, a hollowed-out pumpkin.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: Was it set by Cinderella?
0: No, <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that is
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe I don't know. You know what? I figured we'd go down. Um, I figured maybe you would take me down like a food waste uh, um, conversation here, but like because that's a large pumpkin, and couldn't that feed people? I'm just right? even
2: trying to visualize this. Like, if you hollowed out a large pumpkin and put it in water and sat inside of it, it would stay atop of the water? That's crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, on August 27th, two official <laughs> witnesses, friends, and family watched as Nebraska resident Dwayne Hansen paddle an 846-pound floating pumpkin down to Missouri River in an attempt to beat the Guinness World Record.
2: Wait, 846-pound pumpkin? Yeah. That's crazy. I need to see pictures of this. When we hang up, I'm going to go look this up online. (laughs) That is wild. Isn't that crazy? Yes. That is a very specific thing to do with your life and with a pumpkin.
0: I mean, yeah, but there are people out there. It's a whole trending thing, apparently, that like people, there's seminars on how to grow like oversized gourds and things. (laughs)
2: Well, a gourd, oversized gourd petting zoo can be set up next to our cucumber petting zoo, depending <laughs> on whether you're a size queen or not.
0: <laughs>
2: you know Sorry, what? This is going off I the rails. Think,
0: yeah. I, 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 and this is why I love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm here for the food waste, but good for you for accomplishing a goal at 60 years old, because, I mean... We all have to have a passion in life. And with that's that, true. I think that's the best way to end. good <laughs> news update. I mean, <laughs> you're going to go to your husband and be like, what the hell did I just do? Um, but like, I think I just
2: ruined my whole career, but it's okay. You know, it was
0: worth it. No, Yvonne Vreeland can get, can get on here and talk to me about some real crazy things and still have a job at the New York Times. I think you I'm, are safe. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know... It, it it rounds you out. It makes you. It really grounds you as a real, you know, mm-hmm. stalwart of the LGBTQ community here Thank on in you. your mouth. You know, I listen. It. I want to get into before we close out this new book. Give my switch Charts to Broadway, <laughs> right? <You're laughs> you I could
2: do our audiobook. That was great. I
0: could. I could. Mm-hmm. I, I I give you a good Eddie Cantor. You know. Yes. I have it all. I have it all down. What inspired this book?
2: Um, well, so Gideon Glick is a Broadway actor who I saw in Spring Awakening, the original cast, and um, so he and I became friends, internet friends on Twitter, and then we met in real life. And somewhere along the way, he tweeted like right into the middle of the pandemic. He tweeted some kind of joke about like Bernadette Pizza. He's like, should I write a children's book called Bernadette Pizza or about the adventures of Bernadette Pizza? And all these people are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then, like, I think I chimed in, like, Patty Lascone, like, just, like, stuff like that. And then he sent me a message. He's like, do you think this could really be a book? And I was like, sure. I was like, it sounds great. I was like, although maybe you'd run out of divas. Like, maybe it'd be more fun if you did, like, spins on Broadway shows uh, and then made them recipes so that there's a recipe. He's like, oh, my God, I love that. And then we spent, like, a month just cracking each other up, like texting back and forth, like chicken breast side story, um, the sound of moussaka, Sunday in the pork with George. And we just thought it was funny, like just come up with these recipes. And then at some point I just emailed my literary agent who helped me sell my my cookbook. And I, I knew that she loved musicals. So I was just like, do you think this is a book? And I really didn't expect her to say yes. And she's like, I love this. Yes, do, let's do a proposal. So then we wrote the proposal. We had 50 puns, recipes, and we sold the book to Countryman and uh, got a great illustrator named Justin Squiggs-Robertson. Yes, and
0: iconic. Iconic,
2: iconic. yeah, and so we had so much fun. I mean, this was our pandemic project. This was what, what I was doing you know, during the pandemic when we were all sitting home alone, miserable. I was on Zoom with Gideon uh, coming up with puns and cooking and cracking each other up.
0: Oh, that, uh, that's amazing! You were you were there, being creative and coming out with a book, and I was here drinking and eating tacos every. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was doing plenty of that too. I was also playing Legend of Zelda: The Breath of the Wild, which I'd never, I had never played video games since I was a kid, and I got very addicted to it. So yes, I yes, that I was one was not for all so the productive. gamers out there. <coughs> yes, it was very queer.
0: Yes, I love that. I love that. So, what kind of like? What kind of food should we be expecting from it, right? Because, I mean, if if you're giving me a chicken breast side story, I don't know what that tastes like.
2: Well, that's a great one because it's um, you know it has some Puerto Rican flair to it. I actually spoke to Eliana Masonette,
0: yes, friend uh, to the podcast, right? Friend um, to the podcast, yeah. And also she, um, recently came out as queer too. I, she I did,
2: think. yes, yes. And um, so she gave me advice on how to zhuzh up my dish, which had pineapple marinated chicken breast because of the land of pineapple breezes or you know that's a lyric from West side story mm-hmm. and then um and we had plantains uh in with that and then i had a, a rice with cilantro and lime juice and she yelled at me and she was like no 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 this isn't this isn't chipotle i remember she said she said you know if this is puerto rican an influence you need to put sazon saison, is that how you say that sazon sazon seasoning Sa-son. in it so uh, that's what i did and so that was the chicken breast side story, but like there were so many fun like Sunday in the Pork with George. Um, I, I I love that musical, and it's all about pointillistic painting. So for that one, yep. I I did like um, uh, I put peppers and and herbs and carrots like in the food processor, and then like mixed them up with uh, ground meat or ground pork so that uh, the meatballs had flecks of color and yeah, light. Just speckles. Like so yeah, speckle. So like every recipe sort of reflects the musical in some way, which. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. Oh, the Wicked one, Wicked Doodles, like Snickerdoodles, but they have mock green matcha powder in them to turn them green, like Elphaba. So, yeah, it's uh, it was really creative and fun. It,
0: it sounds really creative and a bit complicated. Was it was it a hurdle to like kind of really no, put no, it all it together?
2: Just, I mean, I don't. I mean, the only hurdle was like if there was a if there was like a show that we couldn't come up with a pun for. There was like a handful. we couldn't think of like a pun but otherwise no i mean it was just sure it was just so much fun honestly I, i had a great time doing it
0: i love that i love that and i can't wait to get my hands on it what's your favorite recipe out of the book
2: Ooh, that's a hard one um i really love pinto the woods which is our uh white bean dip like milky white bean dip uh with uh all kinds of greens, greens, and nothing but greens uh, in the dip. But it's like white beans with garlic and herbs. And I made this for some friends. It has olive oil. And it's like, you know, you dip like pita chips into it. And it's a fantastic appetizer. But also those Wicked Doodles, I I actually have a batch over my shoulder. Like the green tea powder in um, Snickerdoodles is actually a really good addition because it gives it a little bitterness and depth. Uh, And then if you want to add green food coloring, it's great for Halloween.
0: Oh oh well we're just we're covering all <laughs> all yeah. the things
2: here. <laughs> hey, I'm the QVC of my queer cookbook. So <laughs> there you go.
0: And being a QVC host is like my ultimate dream. Oh, odd, well, odd as it sounds. I wanna be you on your TV with, at like four in the morning.
2: Isn't there a show with Vanessa Bayer on TV right now where she that's, that's her dream? Oh, Is that? it?
0: No, yeah, I, I don't I don't know that one. I'm gonna have to find it.
2: I think it's called I Love That For You.
0: Oh, well, I love that for you. Uh, you know what? I love this for you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm seeing into the woods tomorrow. Amazing. Okay, um,
2: in, uh, in two weeks. I'm so excited. It's supposed to be amazing. This. Production. Oh, my
0: God. Well, we must have we must have a drink when you're in town. <laughs> yes, I'd love
2: to finally meet you in real life, too. That would be great.
0: Yes, that would be incredible. I can't thank you enough, and I can't wait to get my hands on this book, right? Because this is um this is a yummy pun intended for all the <laughs> musical theater geeks out there um for sure uh it's it's really it's really um it's really inspiring and I love I just love that it's a a separation that's not the word I'm looking for a a departation of like you know a standard cookbook, right? And Mm -hmm. I I love, you know, I love my Nigella Lawson or my, you know, my Mission Street food. What else is up here? My gluten-free girl every day, you know, (laughs) right? With beautiful photos, and I'm sure you have all that too. But this is just like, you know, it's it's a lighthearted way to, like, kind of present what seem to be really great recipes, right? That, I mean... And I'm sure they are because you've been doing this forever. So I'm really you excited. You are a good QVC
2: up. host. I'm like, I'm like I'm ready to buy this. And I and I already have a copy. So that was great. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, <laughs> I, I don't have just anybody on this podcast. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> they don't call I'm me the Andy honored. Cohen of <laughs> food for nothing, honey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, this was a
2: lot of fun. I'm, I, you definitely asked me things that no other food podcast host has asked me. So I appreciate
0: it. And it was really but fun we, to talk to you. I said it before and I say it again, right? Yes, yes, we celebrate you in food, but here on in your mouth, we want to get to know the whole you, you know? We we want to we want a full tasting. We want the full tasting menu here on the podcast. Well, you got it. Right? Yes. <laughs> I'm
2: glad to share my full buffet of myself.
0: Yes, yes, all right. <laughs> Tell the kids where they can buy the book. Give them all the handles and let them know when we are opening our cucumber petting zoo, please.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can buy the book wherever books are sold online. It comes out October 4th, but pre-ordering it is a great help to us because it just helps people become more aware of the book. So if you want to order it, please pre-order it. And I will be in New York for a book signing event at the Drama Bookshop um, in early October. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You can follow me on all social media at Amateur Gourmet. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok. Yes. Um, and I will keep you updated. But um, yeah, I think was that. Is that it? Oh, and the Petting Zoo, the Petting Zoo will be opening in early November.
0: Early November. Okay, great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have to grow my giant gourd first, but I yes. have some Viagra, so I think
0: I should be fine. Two hundred, two hundred eighty-four pounds of a giant gourd. Yes, cord, exactly. Right? There you and go. And then we can go, we can go swimming with it in, uh, in the Hudson. Right.
2: That sounds like our, a perfect first date for when we finally meet.
0: Yes, and and we can go oyster farming because they just dumped a million oysters into the Hudson. Um, sound delicious. I can't wait pra- <laughs> to eat those. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you and I are going to keep going back and forth for the next two hours. <laughs> <on this. laughs> All right. I'll let you I, wrap it up. <laughs> I love you so much. And this has been such an honor and a pleasure. I've, I told you off... Um, off microphone right that i was so excited to have you here because oh. you know you and i have slightly been communicating via twitter and socials and i've and i've been following you for such a long time so it's been such a pleasure to have you on so oh. thank you thank you thank you so much for coming on to my big gay podcast to talk to little old me right and I giving a me up your time. thank you
2: thank you for having me it was lots of fun
0: yes in your mouth listeners Go buy, give my Swiss charts to Broadway. Wherever you buy your books, right, from Amazon to your local bookshop. To I'm sure it's on the indie book list too, right? Um, go support Adam. It sounds like a great book. I personally can't wait to get my hands on one. Right, I do. Li- I do live it. On the great white way here, so it, it, yeah. my 120 square feet would be a, a miss without one. So, and go follow Adam everywhere on all socials, show him all the love. It's been a great episode, and thank you once again. Other than that, um. We are nearing this date of October 12th. What's happening on October 12th? Well, it's after Adam's book comes out, and I can't tell you more than that just now. But it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day in television history, is all I got to (laughs) say. And other than that, go go enjoy the last moments of summer. Go get that vitamin D and, you know, drink your last glass of rosé for me. And with that, all I have to say is thank you for listening to In Your Mind.